0: Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telch and this is episode 59 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Merry Christmas, especially to those of you who choose to celebrate it, but if you don't, that's my happy holiday. I celebrate Christmas and this is coming out on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's been a great Christmas year for me. I usually get down around the holidays, and somehow this year I've managed to avoid that. And I think part of that is just the opportunity to watch some great movies and uh, spend some time with family. And even though it's not the extended family that I normally get to see, thanks to the state of the world, uh, I'm taking pleasure in what I am getting. Text messages and time with my son and that kind of thing. And it's been a great month watching these movies aimed at kind of younger audiences, and we started with The Muppets, and it makes sense to kind of come full circle and have another Muppet movie in here as well. This time, uh, the conversation is with returning guest Thomas Mariani, who uh, you've heard me mention numerous times on the show. He was not only one of my first guests, but I'm a huge fan of his podcast, Double Edge Double Bill. If you go back and you listen to uh, his uh, first episode with me or uh, times I've appeared on his show, we kind of have this... Um reciprocal relationship when it comes to podcasting. He was on my original podcast and uh, that inspired him to start his own podcast. And then his podcast inspired me to get back into podcasting. So it's kind of this symbiotic relationship. And he's just a great fellow to talk about movies with. Uh, and when I told him I was going to have repeat guests, he jumped on doing a Muppet film. And he he wasn't 100% certain which one, uh, but we did end up going with the one that he he wanted most, which was The Muppets Take Manhattan from 1984. And it's great to get back into Muppets. And I will say, um, just because I want to throw this in the front, not that I want to undermine the episode, but towards the end, we do talk a little bit about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, uh, among many other things we talk about in this episode. And if you've not seen that, do that right now because this is Christmas week when this is coming out and it is the perfect Muppet Christmas companion even more so than the Muppet Christmas Carol or my personal favorite Muppet family Christmas Uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is fantastic and I highly recommend you try to find that and watch that this week uh, in celebration of the holiday but here we go with the episode I hope you all have a wonderful holiday Uh, I'm looking forward to another great year of podcasting Uh, uh, but we'll talk about that next week. For now, let's talk Muppets with 1984's "The Muppets Take Manhattan" with guest Thomas Mariani from Double Edge Double Bill. I I have to commend you because I have several other you know movie podcast friends that I've made over the course of doing this show and they've raced back to the theater as soon as they were able to because they needed the content for their show and you did a drive-in viewing of tenant
1: well yes um i'll I'll preface this by saying with that tenant viewing was that a drive-in i don't normally go to there's a great drive-in that i've gone to for like just some repertory screenings like a horror movie marathon and stuff um called silver moon drive-in um over in Lakeland and that place is great and they have like great accommodating service and people over and everything. I went to the other one, which was a theater I used to go to the few times we went to a drive when I was a kid. And that place is run down so badly. It's
0: so <laughs> cool. Yeah, but you didn't race to the theater, which is what I'm commending you for.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going inside. No. You know, like when I, I had my AMC Stubbs thing, which I loved using. And when they said, like, oh, hey, we're going to open up theaters again, I had to put it down. It was like putting down a dog. I felt so oh. bad about it. It's like, oh man, I can't. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I, I, I'm not going back to a theater anytime soon, no.
0: So so AMC announcing that they may be out of cash by the end of the year, you don't feel the least bit guilty about that, right?
1: I mean, I don't feel guilty. I feel bad about <laughs> it. But it's, it's, so, it's that weird thing where like, AMC always announces these things over the last few months about like, oh yeah, we're totally going to like keep it going when Regal's saying they're shutting down and stuff. it's like, let it go, Indiana. Don't, don't do it. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think Regal's making the right move. Um, I mean, especially on the heels of what was it? James Bond that they announced they were pushing back. And of course, Marvel's pushed all their stuff back. There's yeah. no there's no movies to show. So why are you trying to be open?
1: Well, I think I think that was the big problem with even opening Tenet up is it just felt like Nolan and Warner Brothers were in the kind of position of like, oh, we're going to save movie theaters. And it's like you kind of helped cripple them further. That's the <laughs> sad reality of it. That's the guilt Christopher Nolan will have to deal with for the rest of his days. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I really wanted to see it, but uh, not enough to to go risk my health and the health of those around me.
1: <laughs> or go to a drive-in, which was I did safely, but also was not worth going to. <laughs> Honestly, in that experience, like the moment it comes on digital, just rewatch it, just because like I probably missed so much.
0: Right. Yeah. I. I. The, we. I talked about it on the episode where we where we covered the film, but I saw. Um, Edge of Tomorrow in a drive-in theater, and when I rewatched it for that episode, it was like, "Oh wow, all this stuff makes so much more sense now that I can actually hear it."
1: <laughs> if you go to a drive-in, it's only really repertory screenings that works at where you've seen this movie before and you know what's actually happening. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> but I but I yet I have fond memories of being a tiny tiny kid and seeing the original Star Wars while you know crawling around my family car.
1: I mean, I'll say there, the one exception I'll say to that rule, I guess, is the last time I went to a drive-in before this year was um, I went and saw Jackass Two, mm-hmm. which works beautifully at a drive-in. <laughs> a jackass oh, really? movie is the perfect because like it's not dialogue heavy i don't need to have the witty repartee between steve-o and johnny knoxville but all the stuff <laughs> beautiful especially when people honk their horns at certain
0: events beautiful wonderful
1: <laughs> that, that, that experience i would do a jackass marathon at a drive-in let's come on let's do it
0: i'll, I'll make the recommendation to the local drive-in <laughs> But you've been adjusting pretty well to the whole situation. I mean, I know you did, you still managed to do a Dragon Con panel. Uh, I, I, my understanding is you didn't actually make it to Dragon Con, but you still tried.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, we did a digital panel, um, which was nice. Um, it was nice to at least have some kind of panel experience there. And plus our show works because we tend to do like, you know, older movies anyway. When we do do newer movies. Obviously, like this year was weird where we do like a halfway point. And we right. Did, um, <laughs> to streaming movies, um, but yeah, and that'll probably be the same thing when we're going to plan on doing that again with a couple streaming movies that came out this year. So, um, yeah, it's great for a show like ours, um, right. and even yours, of course, as well, because it's going to be something new. But I, I paying for people like the slash film cast, which I love listening to, and they're always striving. Like, um, what's on Netflix now? We don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, as I said, I have friends who do other movie podcasts that have been in that exact same predicament of like, and and I know, like, you plan your shows around, like, big events. So, like, you may not do the latest James Bond film, but that would be the inspiration for you to do movies with James Bond actors or the good and bad of James Bond or something like that. So you've kind of lost that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've delayed, like, a James Bond episode, a Fast and Furious episode this year because of that kind of stuff, Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's move to happier thoughts. Um, so who is your favorite Muppet? Oh, of course. <laughs> this question would come. Um,
1: I mean, I remember when I was a kid, it was definitely Gonzo. I think just because of how silly and over the top he is. But I think as many adults would relate to, it's Fozzie at this point. That it's that Fozzie. Inner, that inner anxiety of Fozzie is so relatable inherently now. Just like, oh, I know that feeling, man. I get it. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious because I was, you know, when we did the other episode, the the Great Muppet Caper, I was saying as a kid it was Gonzo, just like you said, but as I've gotten older, it's Kermit. Because now I feel that inner frustration of the world around me just going crazy and not being able to control it.
1: (laughs) I'm not a leader. I'm not a Kermit. (laughs) I know my station.
0: I think the I think the movie podcasting community would take issue with that statement. All right. So I also have to curse you because your first appearance on this show, you brought a musical, which at the point, at that point in time, I was really suffering from earworms and ended up with those songs stuck in my head for days. And damn it, you've done it again.
1: (laughs) I'm just a musically inclined man. What can I say?
0: Uh, Apparently. So let's get into it. We are talking this week about The Muppets Take Manhattan from 1984, written by Frank Oz and Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, directed by Frank Oz. Starring Kermit the Frog, Fozzie Bear, The Great Gonzo, Miss Piggy, Juliana Donald, and L- Luis Zorich. Or if you prefer, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Dave Goles, Jerry Nils- Nelson, Richard Hunt, John- J- Juliana Donald, and Luis Zorich.
1: Jim Henson Home Entertainment presents. I'm
0: a for... Jump on board for big time fun. What are we waiting for? Let's go to Broadway! Ah! Ah! The
1: Muppets are hitting. Pick. The Big Apple.
0: Bopo Saco's far out. Right on. In search of their big break.
1: We sold the show. The producer wants to put it on Broadway. Come
0: on, everyone. New York City will never be the same. Here we go. Together on. Together on again.
1: They like it. They love it. Jim Henson's The Muppets Take Manhattan.
0: All right, so this is the tough one. How do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it and and you know this is probably the one of the original trilogy that people may not have seen
1: that's that's true. um the way I would describe it would probably be um have watch to see the whole gang come back together, the original gang one last time theatrically
0: okay. That's kind of sad when you I, mean, it it like well,
1: look, uh, I guess. I mean, um, <laughs> hmm. well, now, now it's just awkward. Um, I mean, I would probably say, honestly, if not that, then how about um, all the – it's every single great kids putting on a show movie, but with puppets.
0: Okay. Gotcha. All right. So – you, you uh, continually astound me with your choices when you come on the show, which is part of why I'm glad to have you back. And I, I hope to continue having you back because there was when I, you were one of the first people I reached out to to be a guest on this show. And, and I, there's no way I would have picked in a million years that you would have picked Walk Hard. And then when I said, hey, Thomas, I may be letting people come back on the show. You were like Muppets. I want to do a Muppet movie like you locked into that. So why out of all of the films out there is this th- the pick that you wanted to talk about?
1: Well, uh, for specifically Muppets Take Manhattan, I think it's because you kind of mentioned it. This is sort of the one that people have seen the least, which I think of, the especially like the original Muppet movies, which I think has a lot to do with the weird rights thing with this one. In case you were like on Disney Plus and it's like, hey, why is Muppets Take Manhattan on here? It's because this is a tri-star movie and they've yes. like coveted it from Disney.
0: Yeah, this happened to me, actually, because you picked this and I was like, great you know, Disney plus and somebody else picked great Muppet caper. And I was like, great Disney plus. And I watched Muppet caper on Disney plus. And when I sat down to watch this one, it wasn't anywhere streaming. And for some stupid reason, I couldn't find my DVD copies of any of the Muppet movies, which kind of ticks me off. I'm going to have to figure out what happened to them. So I ended up having to rent it in order to stream it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot harder to find. And I think that's why it's kind of dipped out of the cultural osmosis. Like, I think the last time they even released on home video to any degree was when The The Muppets, the 2011 movie, came out. And yeah. that but that's the last time in so long. And I think that's honestly sort of a disservice where, like, for me, with Muppets Take Manhattan, it was the one I watched the least. Because I think it, it's fully established, like, The Muppet movie, classic absolute, like, perfect movie. One of the best road movies, American, like, sort of puppet musical movies, anything. It's a, it's a great movie. Great Muppet Caper, I think it's divisive, but those that love it, I think it's because they watched a lot as a kid. That was the one that I watched on the ages a lot as a kid. And then the right. ones even after this with that Henson and, like, Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, to some extent, it had some kind of cultural osmosis. Um, it's like, this one and weirdly the other, I think, Sony TriStar one, um, Muppets Go to Spa- uh, Muppets in Space, have both been, like, really, like, put to the side. Um, and half yeah. of that is un- unfair, I would say.
0: H- half of that is unfair. You covered Muppets from Space on your podcast, if I remember correctly. Yes. And it was not a good movie pick, was it?
1: No, and I, I, and I had nostalgic memories of that, too, because I saw that in the theaters as well. Like Muppet Treasure Island was one of the first movies I saw in theaters as a kid. And then even like <laughs> Muppets from Space, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't it's all my my favorite pals together. And uh, yeah, that one doesn't hold up very well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're such a pup. So if that's what you, you know, the first ones that you saw in the theater were the post-Henson ones, what's your history with this one? Is it just something you, you know, your your family showed you because you liked the Muppets or do you have any kind of history with it?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's definitely, I just wanted to revisit it, I think, because it's the one that I definitely did watch the least. But I remembered certain elements of it very clearly. Um, I think in particular, um, I, I always had a weird thing with, like, whenever these movies would do the thing where puppets would have, like, li- s- live stand-ins wearing masks, and I was, like, deathly afraid of Miss Piggy on the roller skates. I remember that <laughs> very distinctly like, Because, meaning, it looks weird. It's so oh, it's weird horrible. when that
0: happens. It's horrible. And it's I'm glad it's only that one scene, because I... I, I don't remember being aware of that aspect of these movies when I was a kid, and when I revisited Great Muppet Caper, and it's in three different spots in the movie, it it broke me out of that. It's like, oh my god, that's so bad. And here, when it reappeared, I even wrote the, in my notes, "Oh, the reemergence of the full body costume. It's so bad."
1: Yeah, though thing think any full body shots, really, I have some kind of issue with in general with Muppets. Like even now in like the more recent movies, where it's like, oh, you can have the blue sort of a uh, mesh over their arms and stuff and you can seem like they're dancing it feels weird
0: oh yeah okay
1: i mean i would say so but nothing else now it's because it's like oh i know how you did it with at least like these era movies you can tell for the most part aside from oh it's uh, some person in the suit you're wondering like how the hell did they do this especially in this movie i think what makes it so distinct is this one is the one that has the most like location shoots for sure yeah
0: yeah this is probably the one i've seen least of them as well and it, i mean it came out in 1984 so i wasn't that old but i guess i had hit some awkward phase where i wasn't into the muppets because i know i saw um the first two in the theater but for some reason it wasn't until years later that i revisited that i finally got to see this one um and I, like i remember friends who had seen it telling me about you know kermit and piggy get married and uh other you know plot points from the film but I didn't see it myself until I probably was in my 20s. Yeah,
1: and I think it, a lot of that video circulation stuff has a big factor in that. And I think also it's, it's just kind of like pushed to the side a lot more because I think this one is lessening, like jokey. Like I know you've told me your previous guest on Muppet Keeper said like, oh, this is the lesser of the original trilogy of the Jim yes. Muppet movies. But I think especially watching it now, I've grown so much more appreciation for it because it really feels like given Frank Oz directed this, like it's very much his love letter to Jim.
0: Yeah. So yeah. My understanding is the original script, um, which was which was written by uh, Patchett and Tarsus, who also helped write The Great Muppet Caper, was a lot more jokey. And because they got such a critical panning on The Great Muppet Caper, uh, Frank Oz decided to tone down a lot of the jokes and focus instead on the heart. Uh, and, and I think that pays off. I think this movie has a lot of heart, but it definitely pales in comparison to the first two movies as far as like, you know, jokes per square inch.
1: No. Yeah. And I think that's why I revisited a bunch of the Muppet movies, but along with watching this one again, and I will say like with a great Muppet caper, I think the first like half to three fourths of that movie is dynamite in terms of jokes. And then it really Peters off after a certain point. As opposed to I think this movie knows like when to use its sort of jokey bits or when to have like its big elaborate sort of puppeteering moments, but also have a lot more quiet intimacy, which I think is something that's carried over not just with like some of the better Muppet productions since then, but also just Frank Oz's directorial career. He likes to yeah. have these like intimate character focused stories.
0: Well, and I think he succeeds, as I said. You know, I mean that was one of my criticisms when we were discussing the Great Muppet Caper, is it is the one out of the three Henson films that doesn't have any kind of real emotional moment. You know, the, the the original movie has several and had even more after the passing of Jim Henson to me. I mean, that whole movie just became just a tribute to Jim. But this one has, you know, I, I remember saying goodbye so vividly mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it came so early in the movie. It's 20 minutes in and you're getting the heartbreak of the Muppets breaking up.
1: Yeah, because it feels like this, this came out like a very transitional point where this is in between the Dark Crystal and before Labyrinth. So you can tell that like even Henson stated as much that he was like, oh, I kind of want to like, have I'm too busy, but I want to have like Frank have his opportunity to do this. And it feels like it's also kind of like Jim at a struggle point where it's like these characters made me and I love these characters, but how long can I stick around them? And you can see that in Kermit. There is a lot of just like, am I dragging them down? But also even the other Muppet characters, like there's that great scene when they're first in the pizza restaurant and they're talking to each other about like, are we like dragging down Kermit and we just rely on him too much? Maybe we should like give him a little bit of levity from his responsibility.
0: Yeah. Do you think they were? Do you think they were dragging Kermit down?
1: Um, I mean, if you can kind of see that, I mean, to a certain extent, it's, it's like they're putting a lot of stress on Kermit. Like he has that blow up before they go into the restaurant about like, look, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we're right. doing here. And I think, like, it's one of the rare times where I think they actually go into that relationship that he has with these other characters as much. I think it's it's definitely a case of, like, I think by the end of the movie, it shows off, like, oh, Kermit, like, loves these guys and loves being around them as a family. And he loves being able to, like, give them an opportunity to express themselves in their weird, weird ways.
0: Yeah, I I find it interesting that that whole idea of whether they're whether or not they're they're dragging Kermit down comes from Scooter. And, you know, I mean, Scooter's role has always typically been the gopher, you know, he is the one who is trying to make other people happy. And I feel like this movie almost marks a transition point in his character where he becomes a little more independent, a little more, you know, self thinking. Uh, that I think you see with the depiction of him in the more recent Muppet movies, and, I mean, especially Muppets now.
1: Right, yeah, I I would say, like, they definitely sort of examine all the different characters and their different roles. Um, And with the Scooter in particular, I think it it just shows off, like, how much these Muppets, especially at this time, and I think something that's been missing since especially Jim passed and when I transitioned to Disney, how much of it is very much like these performers being sort of autobiographic, because it feels like it's Richard Hunt kind of speaking through this particular character.
0: Yeah. Well, and and to that end, you know, I mean, Kermit's story in this movie is very much Jim Henson's origin story, you know, coming to New York and not hitting, you know, after, after being a success in a small town, coming to a big city and not being a success and getting a job in advertising until finally yes. he, he breaks three.
1: Right. There's a lot of autobiographical stuff in here for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I I should have asked before we started recording, what do you think of the latest Muppets series? Because you're a little more critical about things than I am. I'm like, I, I'm like, oh, it's Muppets. I love it. And you're you're a little more uh, pointed sometimes.
1: I mean, I think with Disney's especially Rain on the Muppets, it's been very uneven for me. Like I've loved some stuff like the YouTube thing or the Jason Segel movie I thought was a great return to form. And then like Muppets now, I think is the best exemplification of that. Because there's some sketches I'm like, oh my God, this is rough. This is like such a terrible example of like what they're doing with these characters. And then there's other things where it's like, oh, they're really reinventing and doing fun stuff. Like particularly, I love what they've been doing with Uncle Deadly how they've really taken that character and made him so much like something like different where it's like, he has that Vincent price energy that he had on the old Muppet show, but now it's like, Oh, he has like the personal assistant pithiness and his acting bravado at the same time. I, I I love some of that stuff. And it's like, I wish they would just give these performers, especially more opportunity to kind of evolve these characters like that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I do have to wonder who is so obsessed with uncle deadly though, because he really was a minor character except for one or two episodes of the original Muppet show and yet you know he's kind of a, a key character in the muppets the the jason segel movie and as you said you know muppets now he's certainly a, a regular in so it's like who who had such a fixation with that character <laughs> i mean he looks like a ghoul ghost dragon that's dope who would be didn't <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a look real quick at the critical side of things, since we did mention, you know, The Great Muppet Caper did not do very well. Critically, this one definitely rises back up 83% at Rotten Tomatoes, although a 76% audience score. So the audience doesn't like it as much as the, the critics did. Uh, 64% at Metacritic, so contemporary critics don't like it much as as much as the, the critics of its day. Um, the positive review, I'm so happy to say comes from Roger Ebert this time, after he was incredibly negative about The Great Muppet Caper. And uh, Roger Ebert writes, In short, I liked just about everything about your movie. But what I liked best was your discovery of self. Kermit, you are no longer a frog with an identity crisis. You've found the right persona, old boy, and it will see you through a dozen more movies. It was clear to me from the moment you took your curtain call and basked in the spotlight. Kermit, this may come as a shock, but you're Mickey Rooney in a frog suit. Think about it. You're short, you're cute, you never say die, you keep smiling, you have a philosophy for everything, you appear only in wholesome G-rated movies, and sex bombs like Liza Minnelli only kiss you on the cheek. Uh, on the negative side, the review comes from Eric Adams of the A.V. Club, who writes, Of the first three Muppet movies, The Muppets Take Manhattan feels like the one aimed mostly directly at kids. The narrative structure is simpler, the meta jokes all but disappear, and at no point does a villain threaten to off the frog, though Kermit does get hit by a car and loses his memory. It's a kinder, gentler, it's a kinder, gentler, lumpier Muppet movie, and it served to introduce the interpretation of the characters that would prove most successful for the remainder of the 80s, as toddlers with big imaginations,
1: I mean, yeah, I guess we should kind of get to the the elephant in the room. <laughs> um, I think its only real big legacy that I'm kind of bummed is its legacy is the the Muppet Babies. Obviously, where if you don't know, this is the movie where like they introduce the idea of the Muppet Babies in this like very tacked on scene where it's like, "What if we were Kermie? What if we were babies together?" And then they have like this flashback dance number thing that's cute. But at the same time, it's like it just led to this huge thing that became a big part of their legacy at a certain point.
0: And you, you're bummed that it's their legacy, so I take it you didn't like Muppet Babies?
1: I mean, even when I was a kid, like I, Muppet Babies wasn't really in circulation as so much when I was a kid, but after it ended. But when I saw reruns, I'm just like, why would I want to see like these great, like, you know, felt characters in bad Saturday morning animation? And animation, even when I was a kid, I'm like, that shit looks terrible.
0: <laughs> See, I'm going to contradict what I said just, you know, 10 minutes ago. I was a huge Muppet Babies fan. Like, because, again, I was only like 10 when this movie came out. So I was still at the prime Saturday morning cartoon age. And this comes out two months after the movie. Um, I loved the Muppet Babies. Now, that was before I knew who Dave Coulier was, you know, so it's got that going against it now. But just kidding. Cut it out.
1: This, these hot Dave Coulier takes that you have, I swear. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I guess I can get, like, to be, I think it's the same thing where, like, I think that for my generation was more like a Rugrats, where it's like, oh, little babies going on misadventures. And obviously, that a series like that owes a lot to Muppet Babies and all the other, like, baby esque spinoffs that happened afterward. Um, but I don't know, even when I was just younger, I just wasn't that into it. I guess it was more of like a Muppet purist, even at a younger age. So I had so many friends. A lot of <laughs>
0: Eh, eh, suddenly the relating with gonzo makes sense (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I try to do the water ski
1: setup and my ring of fire topples over yeah it it happens all the time which is my favorite bit about bit about that joke it's the fact that his fucking ring fire just collapses (laughs) right it's not
0: it's not the fact that he leaves the skis behind and you know the whole gag is ruined it's that on top of that that thing just falls over it's like the perfect (laughs) stinger on the joke there yes so a, a couple of things from these reviews po- stuck out to me. Uh, the Adams points out the, the narrative being simpler, the meta jokes all but disappear. And that was one of the things I loved about the first two movies, uh, or I still love about the first two movies, is the meta jokes, the, the, the awareness that they are in a movie. And that is really not in this film.
1: No, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that this is weirdly sort of like the um, Muppet Uh, like Martin Scorsese movie in terms of like their kids struggling in New York city. And it has a bit more of that grit and grime to it, which I think is like a different change of pace. Like it's probably why I wasn't as big on it as a kid, but I think it's why now I've kind of grown to like it more where I love the meta jokes, obviously in the Muppet movie, especially, but I think with this movie, it feels a bit more realer where it's like their, their whole thing is putting on this show that has an intentional facade. Like I love how whenever they do actually do the show, it has this clear, like, Oh, here come the sets and here comes everything. And it clearly looks fake but in like an endearing way so that makes all the stuff where they're actually like on the streets in new york feel all the more kind of realistic as much as you can with obviously them walking around in new york city but <laughs> it, it adds a bit more like realism to it in a way that i really appreciate more as i
0: get older gotcha gotcha okay yeah i missed i missed the meta jokes although I, I, you're right maybe they wouldn't have felt as in place in this movie um and there's no running gag the way that there was in the first two films either Right, I, not like, that I can like think myth, of at
1: least. Really, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. It, it's 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 more of just the uh, um, a lot of, like brief character-focused bits and pieces. But I think also at the same time, there's more of like arcs going on with the characters that's here. I think, particularly, like this is the only time I've ever seen Miss Piggy have empathy for the other Muppets to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> she asked if Camilla's okay after that encounter with Daphne Coleman. She would never do that elsewhere.
0: That's a really good point. That she she does have a little bit as much as she has jealousy for Jenny. She does tend to uh, to care about her fellow Muppets just a little bit, which which for her is miles of improvement. (laughs) And she
1: even grows to like have respect for Jenny after a certain point, because she even says at the end about, oh, she's one of Kermit's friends and my friends after having the jealousy. bit that's going on, which I think is like another thing. Probably this is missing is no real central like human role because obviously in the other movies like um, you'd have like Charles Durning in the Muppet movie Charles Grodin in the Muppet Caper and then like Michael Caine and Tim Curry a few other people yeah but this one doesn't have a central human figure
0: yeah, which one of the reviews does point out that there's no real antagonist. You know, it's it's more just being up against the clock uh, as we get into the, the final moments of the movie. And before then, it's just them against the world, but it's not like the world is evil. It's just not as easy as they thought it would be, which I think is kind of a relevant message for people coming out of college.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's the thing that also makes it work for me is that there isn't as obvious like an evil villain to really push up against or just these like people you encounter who you think oh they might help me out but no they sometimes end up being dabney coleman's kids you sometimes have that happen
0: (laughs) so i i I, you've brought up dabney coleman twice so i feel the need to address him in this movie um because it it cracks me up that he's in this and you i don't know if you're old enough to really have done a lot of dabney coleman stories whether it's movies or television but at the time he was always a dick and that's I write. Uh, I guess I had forgotten that part of the movie. So in my notes, I'm like, "Oh, it's Dabney Coleman, and he's not playing a jerk." Strike through. Forget about that.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, Dabney Coleman's one of those great character actors. Where even when I was younger, I saw him in things like. Obviously, around this time, the biggest thing would have probably been Tootsie, and he's obviously yes. asshole on that, but so wonderfully. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it's in like a bait and switch. And also, I think another great example of like, I think a problem with Muppet Caper is that it has a lot more like showy moments of like Jim Henson directing and being like, look, we can make them up and do whatever we want as sort of like yes. practice for like the Dark Crystal. And in this case it comes off a bit more casually with like the Dabney Coleman thing where he's picked up Gonzo and Camilla and then animals attacking. It doesn't feel as like overtly showy, I would argue, than it does in others.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that was certainly one of the things I talked about with Great Muppet Caper was the technical wizardry. And I, I think this movie has it, but you're right. It's not as overt. I mean, like the scene with the rats in the kitchen is pretty darn impressive. If you think about the the limits of technology at the time, like now they just do it all CG, but that wasn't an option in 1984.
1: Right, and it, that is probably the most showy example. But even then, it's more just once again about the characters having like fun in this like kitchen setting, as opposed to look at the technical wizardry I can draw. I think Dark Crystal took a lot of that out of Jim, which is like, okay, I did it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm satisfied. Let's no, just have fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Dark Crystal, you build an entire world with no humans whatsoever. you are That's going to take a drain on you. I mean, you got to admit. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, geez, let's just have him go to a pizzeria or something. Ugh, I'm so tired. <laughs> Wait, let's stop dream fasting and go get pizza and we can do this there, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's
1: another thing is like, even though like Jenny or her father or um, the Ronnie Crawford later on, aren't like the most overt sort of like human characters, I like the fact that they feel more like equals with the Muppets, because that never really happens with these human characters. They feel like they're just sort of like people who are either being invaded on by the Muppets or they're vice versa. They're being invaded in on the Muppets thing. And I like the fact that this is more about like, they're equals with these other people. And it doesn't feel as much. It's just like, oh, we're just hanging out in the same space.
0: Yeah, I mean, all three of these movies really take place in a world where humans and Muppets coexist. Um, but this one feels, yeah, like they're most on the, the same level playing field. That's a good point.
1: Right. And I think it also has a lot to do with it. It's in New York. And my favorite gags in New York usually are when people just encounter strange things like, yep, yeah, same day. And that's kind of the thing, like, even when the Muppets are acting crazy, it's more just like, oh, they're acting overtly crazy in a way that turns people off, as opposed to, like, when Miss Piggy's trying to spy on Kermit, and she's being hit on by those guys that are doing construction. Like, they <laughs> see the pig, and they're not like, oh my god, it's a pig! They're just like, hey lady! That's hilarious to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no... Um... Well, and I mean, you get that a little bit in the diner. He has the comment about, uh, you know, rats work here. Frog works here. What's next? Penguins and the penguins show up because, of course, that's the perfect setup to then bring the penguins in. Um, But, you know, he has a little bit of disdain for the fact that he's got a barnyard rather than a diner. But at the same time, he's just griping about it like any New Yorker would gripe about anything, I think.
1: Yeah, like the penguins coming inside about like, what are you doing in this warm climate? It's like, get out of here. I'm trying to right. do my job. Come on.
0: <laughs> so I will say where I think this movie has Great Muppet Caper beat, uh, not only in the heart, because as I said, I feel like this movie has a lot of emotion to it. It has has several moments that definitely make me tear up. But again, we we've, we've, you and I have even discussed that doesn't take much for me. Um, but the cameos in this film, like... I remember all the cameos in the Muppet movie and the great Muppet caper has some really good ones, but there's not many. And in this one, it just feels like they're piled on at times.
1: Um, I mean, I, I would say um, it's more so than the other three, but especially after like I revisited some of like, particularly like a Muppet's most wanted is the most yes. guilty of that. It's like literally oh. every five seconds, there's a cameo. It's like, guys, calm down. <laughs> calm well, and down. And so was
0: the Muppets. I mean, and and what was funny to me with the Muppets is, you know, when it came out, you know, I recognized some of the actors who were putting in cameos, but I I didn't know who they were. You know, because right. some of them are like Disney TV stars who I, I don't know who that is, just, but I recognize them. I know they're a celebrity, but I couldn't name them off the top of my head. But I mean, here you've got everyone from John Landis to Elliot Gould putting in a second appearance, Art Carney, Brooke Shields, uh, Mayor Ed Koch playing himself. I mean, it's it, there's quite a few cameos. I don't feel like they distract from the movie. I think it, in fact, in New York, it kind of just makes it feel like a real city.
1: I, I completely agree with that. I think particularly my favorite cameo has to be Gregory Hines, as the guy with the skates. Oh god, um, yes. For like one, it's just an issue of like Piggy steals the skates and everything, but then when he has the interaction with them during their fight, and the whole thing of like, man, you, this is what happens when you do the huggies and stuff like that. It's <laughs> phenomenal. And it just feels like he's just a part of this awkward conversation that's going on, as opposed to, oh my god, I'm gonna like play it up and do a song. Like he doesn't even dance. It's Gregory Hines movie where he doesn't dance.
0: Yeah, no, he just has the line about liking the tight shorts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Keep the skates. I'll just go. I like running around in shorts anyway.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that scene because of not just because it's Gregory Hines, but because of the way he tries to play referee between the two of them. And as you said, you know, this is what happens when you give the huggies. Oh, yeah, but she spied on me. Oh, right. Forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) He's weighing in on
1: the moral dilemma of this relationship crumbling apart.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And I, and I just, as I said, I don't feel any of the, the cameos or maybe Ed Koch is a little extra, but other than right. that, you know, the rest of them just feel, they just feel natural. And some, you get some good little jokes in there, like Brooke Shields talking about having dated a rat, a, a few rats in her day, you know, but I, I enjoyed them.
1: No, I think, and that was a conscious decision, because I, I watched an interview with Frank Oz around this time. He said that, like, initially there was a bit more, because there was, like, a whole story about Dustin Hoffman wanting to, like, have a huger part. And there were a lot more cameos planned, and when he bailed out, a lot of other people bailed out. So then, like, they had to kind of rewrite the cameos on the fly, and he decided to make it more of, like, oh, the characters are, like, integrated into the story, rather than just, oh, hey, look, here's Richard Pryor, Bob Hope, or whoever that shows up in these other movies. And I think that really works with, like, even, like, Eliza Minelli who is playing herself and coming in the middle of this. The joke isn't about like, oh my God, it's Liza Minnelli. It's Liza Minnelli being really pissed off about the Sardis guy. Just like, really? A frog? And then she leaves. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and herself, I mean, it actually captures her her personality really well because she, her first thing isn't upset about the frog picture. It's what did I do wrong? What did I do to anger you to take <laughs> to get my picture taken down? Exactly. <laughs> Which I feel like is very appropriate for her personality. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So, so we've mentioned Piggy a couple of times. I do have to say, Piggy is my source of my my biggest complaint about this movie. Um, not the, the full body costume, although that's certainly up there, but her 80s perm.
1: Yeah, that was um, a big thing. <gasps> this is the movie that introduced that, right? And then she had that throughout the 80s.
0: Right. And I was. hate it. And I I had totally forgotten about it because I'm used to, you know, Muppet show. I have several of the sets on DVD and the whole Time Life set that, you know, came out before that. And, uh, you know, then the contemporary Muppets, she's back to having kind of the flowing golden hair. And this 80s perm just is not a good look for her.
1: But I think it works at the same time in terms like sort of the meta narrative of Piggy being like so obsessed with fashion and being like of the moment. I think oh, sure. it kind of works for her at the same time that she's like, oh, well, the best style for moi would be this perm. And I think it works especially in sequences like the Joan Rivers cameo where it oh, is God, more yes. about like she's, she's just trying to exist in like 80s New York. So she has this perm and having this conflict with her and Joan Rivers, which is so great. Like Their back and forth is perfect
0: in this movie. Oh my. Yeah. Where Joan Rivers is making her up. Yeah. That's that is a hilarious moment. I mean, it's, and, it's, and fantastic. once again,
1: it's based more in the character where it's more about just like, let me cheer up my coworker who I'm buds with at this point, <laughs> as opposed to just like, oh my God, Joan Rivers is here.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's as much of a goof to see Joan Rivers playing a makeup counter lady as it is to see Miss Piggy. Yes. <laughs> so my understanding from that is that the scene was not going very well and that uh frank oz ended up getting some martinis brought in and had a few drinks with joan rivers in order to get her to kind of uh lighten up a little bit
1: i mean when you're a director you can have those perks like that just so like you know what we have to get method for this scene we have to into <laughs> this.
0: i'm a performer and a director i have to accommodate my actress how, how much of this film's difference that we're talking about whether it's, you know, I mean, looking back again at, at the the reviews saying, you know, the the narrative being simpler and not having a villain and, and that kind of stuff. How much of that do you think is because Oz directed this one, whereas Henson directed the first two?
1: Well, I think just because they have sort of a different sensibility. What I love about the partnership that happened with Frank Oz and Jim Henson was one sort of grounded the other. And I would argue Frank is definitely more in that camp of being the one that kind of grounded because like all of his characters have some sort of degree are like, these anxieties that feel a lot more overt, like a Miss Piggy or a Fozzie Bear or any of those others. And I think that really shows off in, like, his movies he made after this particularly. It feels like there's, like, even when fantastical elements are going on, like, in my beloved Little Shop of Horrors, it's still a character-based thing that has, like, a cast of maybe really five that are, like, really big in terms of, like, roles.
0: If you include the plant, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yes, the plant, yes. Um, I, I think that's the thing, is that he kind of feels like the the one of the Jim Henson, because Henson was so obsessed with, like, let's create worlds, let's advance technology, let's sort of be this big. Frank always kind of felt like sort of his grounding element, like the way George Lucas had Gary Kurtz earlier on. I would yeah. argue Frank Oz is that. I love also the fact that anybody listening to this is like, well, why are they talking more about Muppet Babies and stuff? Why are they going into this-, <laughs> <laughs> this? That's why I wanted to do this, because I remember <laughs> you doing your show. Like the old show, the Weekly Blend. Like I remember hearing you talk about like Muppet performers specifically, and I was like a Muppet nerd, like younger person at that time. And I'm like, oh my god, someone who isn't like tough pigs is talking about Muppets to some like larger behind the scenes extent. And I think that <laughs> this is the one that shows that off the most.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It it really does. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Write a review and then you can share it
1: with the world in any social media platform.
2: And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together.
1: This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day.
2: And I'm Andy from Inspired Money.
1: And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and Castbox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day, which is on the eighth of every month of every year, of every century, of every you get it.
2: We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Podrev Day Podcast Review Day.
1: Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews.
2: Even one star feels surprisingly (laughs) good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode.
0: And to participate, you just need to do one review.
2: And we'll see you every eighth of the month.
0: Podrev day, because podcasters deserve to hear it.
2: Hashtag PodRev Day.
0: P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. I guess I can't ask you who your favorite cameo is. You kind of already said Gregory Hines is. What's what's your favorite visual gag of the movie? I mean, there are, there are tiny little details, you know, that they always throw into these Muppet movies. One of my favorites is Ralph working at the kennel and two of the dogs have little labels on their crates that say Jim and Frank, obviously meant to be appointed at Jim Henson and Frank Oz.
1: Right, of course. Um, in terms of like a visual gag, um, I would probably say... It's a lot of the stuff where Miss Piggy is in the background doing something like particularly (laughs) like when they um, when it's him and Jenny in the pizza restaurant and Miss Piggy's in the window next door and the blinds are like shaking up. It's like, oh, that happens a lot over there, doesn't (laughs) it?
0: Yeah, my I was I was watching this at night after my son was supposed to be in bed. Um, And, you know, not that, you know, because you're not there, but sometimes bedtime is a battle in order to get kids in bed. And we got to the scene where the um, construction guys are yelling at Miss Piggy, and then she sees them hug, and she starts beating on the dumpster there. And my son comes into the room and is like, I'm never going to sleep with this noise going on. I was like, it's one scene.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How the tables have turned, right?
0: (laughs) Right. I used to love the Muppets. Now they're working against me. (laughs) so the other thing I find really interesting kind of going I, I know I keep going back to the critical reviews and I almost never do that so I find it interesting I'm doing that but Ebert says uh, you know that you found your, the right persona and it will see you through a dozen more movies and yet after this one and the passing of Jim Henson they move to liter- literary adaptations instead of trying to do this Muppets in the real world situation now yeah. did you like those movies I mean that you, you said that's kind of what you grew up with though
1: well, no, yeah, I mean, I think Muppet Christmas Carol is great and Treasure Island's great. And I, don't, I wouldn't besmirch the Muppets maybe doing something similar like that again to any degree. Um, but at the same time, um, I will say that you, when after Henson died, and I think this has even lasted into the Disney era and some of this other stuff, when Steve Whitmire took over, I think it became more of like, oh, Kermit is a sacred cow of a character. Kermit, like, he became kind of the way that Mickey Mouse was, honestly, after a certain point, where not just, like, being the mascot, but also being, like, this was the embodiment of Jim as sort of a person was Kermit. Um, So we can't really, like, have him go too wild or too crazy or whatever to whatever, like, have him evolve to any degree. It's, like, Jim frozen in amber. I think it's a bummer, because I think Kermit, especially earlier on, like, Jim was willing to have Kermit be kind of, like, flustered and have like moments where he kind of yelled at everybody because he was so stressed about what was going on. Also keeping that fun demeanor at the same time. I wish we had more kind of going from this. While at the same time saying like I wouldn't have wanted to say that Disney Plus series that Josh Gad was going to do. Where it was like <laughs> equal <laughs> to this movie. Which just really, yeah, like my, my personal things with Gad aside. Rafe, <laughs> um, I would say just, I don't feel like that's a great idea. You know of just like having like following up this particular movie not necessarily.
0: Okay, so to give some context, one, Thomas and Josh Gad are the same person. um, Just you know, so people out there know that one has a lot more damn money. That's the difference. If you look at Thomas and you look at Josh Gad, they they are they are the same person. Thomas is just slumming it doing the podcast scene. Uh, Two. Uh they wanted to do a Disney Plus series with the Muppets that followed up this movie but saw the Muppets splitting up again. So like they they split up and then they get back together again and and have this hit Broadway show and then they split up again, which seemed a little weird to me for a premise.
1: I completely agree with that, especially when I would argue The Muppets did about as good a job as you could with that idea of them breaking up again after a certain point.
0: Right, and and it would have been now, so it would have been post The Muppets even, but it it reminds me of the opening number of uh, of the second of The Muppets, uh, where you know, I think it's Fozzie goes through the plot of the first movie as his pitch for the sequel, and they're like, did you even watch the first movie? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, Josh, did you see the movie? Because what you're talking about is that movie that you want to make a sequel to?
1: Which also would have been weird for Disney Plus as well. Like, could they even have the rights to do that? It's also just feel weird. like, here's this Disney Plus show referencing a movie we can't have on Disney Plus.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I love the separate stories that the different characters go on. And I think that's one of the things I really love about this movie. And I I even noted it. You know, the, the first movie, we start with Kermit and we see him building... The crew of the Muppets. And then the second movie, we start with Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo together and we see them encounter most of them they encounter at the Happiness Hotel, but they 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 encounter they they grow their circle of friends. And in this one, they're already together, a lot of them, including which the one that I made in my note that I found really touching is Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem are part of the the core group in this movie
1: yeah they established that they sort of came together in college, which I just love that idea that it feels like it would make sense that these characters would meet in college and still kind of be buds or even like Dr. teeth is the guy who like feels like he's slumming it because he doesn't right. need to be with these weirdos like he's weird in a <laughs> different way where he could just be like off galvaning or whatever but he likes these guys.
0: Well, and I just I found it touching that they let him and and the band be part of the central crew when they've always been kind of an outlier in the other movies. Um, You know, you think of the Muppets and everybody thinks of Kermit and Fozzie and Piggy and Gonzo and maybe Rolf. But Scooter and Dr. Teeth and Floyd are typically kind of relegated to like a secondary character status. And, you know, and, and here they get to be part of the main gang.
1: Yeah, I just like the idea that these characters have had like a history and there's a bit more to them. And I think even with Electric Mayhem, obviously, like every they, the other things, especially Posts, have always sounded like Animal because he's the more overtly like fun, marketable character of that right. bunch. But I always like when it's especially like um, not just Dr. Teeth, but also Janice and Floyd and even to a certain extent, uh, Zoot. Um, right. They actually like, feel like they're actual distinct characters. And there's even like that great bit... Where Zoot is sleeping in the middle of the restaurant, just like, no man, go back to sleep. It's fine. <laughs> they haven't landed right. yet.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I as I said, I mean, I love the individual stories that we kind of get a sense of these characters on their own without Kermit. So, you know, Fozzie's lost. He just goes to hibernate. He he really cannot function without Kermit. But almost the, almost all of the rest of them managed to find some kind of job. And frankly, Dr. Teeth and them just do what they would have been doing anyway, you know, playing gigs.
1: <laughs> and their gig is so hilarious. <laughs> it's like an Oktoberfest <laughs> Rock Wars place. But I also like the fact that they keep in character the idea that when Kermit gets these like postcards, they're painting a completely different picture that you can yes. tell there's this inner personality with these characters where it's like they care about Kermit and don't want to make it seem like, oh, they're slumming it after they left him and make him feel guilty about it. That's just nothing. I think this plays with the interpersonality of all these characters in a way that a lot of the other movies don't.
0: Yeah, which which, as I said, I mean, I think Oz did a great job of adding a lot of heart to this movie. And I think that's that's part of why saying goodbye is such a heartbreaking number for me, because these are the Muppets. They're supposed to be together. And the idea that 20 minutes into the movie, they're going to split up and go their separate ways is You know, I I can handle it now better in my mid-40s, but originally it was quite devastating to me.
1: No, yeah, and it really, like, evokes a lot of those feelings you have whenever you make, like, a big step in your life and you let people go. Like, especially, like, around around the time when I was graduating from college, I, like, watched this and I'm like, oh, God, this is so true. You feel a lot of that in the movie where it is about just, like, people who you collaborate with forever suddenly like dissipate from your life and it feels so harsh and it makes it all the more sad when like Kermit is like walking alone in New York City.
0: Yeah. And I mean and I even think the 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 song that kind of gets teased throughout the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie uh, when they're when they're pitching their play from agency to agency, and Kermit's always going, hey, and the song goes a little like this, doo 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 you know. Uh, once he finally gets to perform it at the end of this movie, it's a nice emotional moment.
1: Oh no, I tear up at that.
0: Yeah, that builds into the big show, but the the first very slow delivery of that is just a wonderful emotional moment because the crowd's back together and Kermit remembers who he is.
1: No, yeah, I, I think that works so brilliantly because it's like at this point you know after all the Muppets get back together but Kermit's not there they've been carrying along trying to like create this show and make it work within the two week span they have and I love the fact (laughs) that even as they're searching for Kermit they're still just trying to carry on as much as they can without him it makes me even more emotional now considering it feels like the other like the other puppeteers post Henson's death kind of trying to make that show go along as well as they can after the point but it's like it and it's, you know, in the best circumstances, it's not a case of, oh, what would Jim have wanted? It's like, well, let's try and carry on as best we can without Jim here. And I think yeah. that makes it all the more emotional when, you know, their Jim circuit comes in. And it feels kind of like what Jim kind of came up to this point in his career and saying, where it's like, I still, of course, love to do things with these characters and have fun. But I also want to give these other performers who I've had so much history with an opportunity to progress and control these projects, but I'll contribute as much as I can because I love them as collaborators.
0: Well, and I'm glad that they managed to keep going. I mean, to go back to kind of your golden calf concept, um, when Henson died, they announced that they were retiring Kermit and that Kermit and Ernie and Henson's characters would not carry on, that they would just be remembered forever the way Jim played them. And then they changed their mind. Um, And there's a, a, I'm sure you've seen it. There was a television special that was the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson that was a really touching Yet Muppet appropriate memorial for Jim, and the, at the end of that is when you first had Steve Whitmire taking on the role of Kermit, and that was kind of the the coming out of the new voice of Kermit. Um, but I think Jim would have been very happy that they did keep going. They, they, I, I think he would have been very happy with the the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, and you know all, all the direction that the Muppets have continued to go, albeit erratic. And uh, it, it almost feels like the studio just can't follow through with one direction for them. I think Jim would be proud of the work they've done.
1: No, I think that's the thing is that it it definitely um, post Henson feels like they wanted to like go on with the show and have some kind of like you know creative direction. But it feels like there has still at the same time been a main person missing. Like Brian Henson obviously tried to take that on in the nineties respectfully as he could. Um, and then I think that's what's missing from the Disney Muppets is you know to coin. To, to use an example from a different uh, Disney franchise, they need a Kevin Feige. as silly as it is that's like, oh, you need somebody to like control the universe. It's not that. You need somebody who's like sort of central that can like direct them in some specific way, but also give enough opportunity for the other care like other creatives to do what they can with an individual project.
0: Yeah, and I really, I had really hoped when the Muppets came out that Jason Siegel was going to be that person because it really seemed like from the script of that movie that he got the Muppets, and so I was really disappointed when he dropped out and didn't continue on with Muppets Most Wanted.
1: Yeah, and he went into such a weird direction. In his career—that's a fast <laughs> weird turn after Muppets. Like, what are you gonna do, Jason? I don't know. Forget <laughs> 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 my How I Met Your Mother money and then try and do drama?
0: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what has he done since then i can't think of anything off the top of my head
1: there was that recent weird tv show that's like some kind of puzzle based like mystery thing that he just was in but it's been in, like a huge gap and there was like the discovery which is like a robert redford sci-fi drama that's
0: really weird None of these are ringing a bell with me, so I may not be aware of all of them. Not very memorable, no. (laughs) So I I mentioned the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. I know in the last week or so, because I follow you on Letterboxd, uh, that you've been watching a lot of Muppet stuff. Um, Do you want to chat about any weird thing that people may not have seen?
1: Um, I mean, I've I've just been, like, filling up some, I guess, minor gaps that have been in my Muppet chronology, I guess, especially earlier stuff, because I kind of went chronological with, it. like, some of the earlier specials, like the Tales from Muppet Land specials that Jim did, like, right around the time Sesame Street started, but it's, like, an alternative, like, The Frog Prince um, and Musicians of Bremen, some of that stuff. It's interesting just seeing the sort of evolution of him, especially trying to, like, hone the idea of doing these things, especially outside of, like, a Sesame Street. Um, and those are like really interesting Especially like the, I think the, the best one is probably The Frog Prince one I think is the most Enjoyable of those um, and, I mean I've also just been like watching stuff That's not even like on Letterbox, Like some of the commercials The really early Vulcan's mm-hmm. like, coffee ads I, just, oh, yeah. I, I, I don't think Jim Henson gets as much credit As like a George Lucas does With like just how much he evolved his style And his techniques from a certain point Of like how to like use like marionettes That didn't work necessarily earlier on how like having full body mups that also looked weird i like having those points where it's like jim had like oh hey let's use this and then kind of decide let's not do it that doesn't work well by the way i love them saying jim like i knew him <laughs> like, you know, I like jim I and mean, we go way back we go way back I, I think he'd approve <laughs> like oh, I knew him. I would like <laughs> d- just destroy in myself with the ghost. Jim Henson was like, you're a good guy, Tom. <laughs> <That> <laughs> validation finally in my life.
0: <laughs> now, have you checked out his uh, Oscar nominated short time pieces?
1: Uh, not recently, but I've seen it before. I've seen a lot of okay. his like weirder experimental pieces as well. That also showed like J- Jim did weird stuff. Like he, he was <laughs> yes able he to, did. Like, he like was not just like when people were like, "Oh my god, the dark crystal feels so weird." At the time, it's like, "Oh no, you don't know." <laughs> Way back, Jim had his weird experimental college days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I I didn't get to talk about this on the Great Muppet Caper episode, so I'll I'll brag about it here. My humble brag in front of you know a good friend here. One of the highlights of doing the old podcast was getting to go to San Diego Comic Con as press, which was you know which sounds great. It was a miserable experience because you're you're in a back hallway in a room the whole weekend. You don't actually get to see the panels because the, the guests are immediately taken from hall H or wherever into this back room. So in order to be there as press, you have to be there the whole time. Um, so, you know, my colleagues are getting to watch cool trailers and see the, 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 the big hall presentations and stuff. And I'm in a back room. But one of the the highlights of that was on Sunday, which when, when it was a little more dead was getting to sit down with Dave goals and almost no other press had shown up for it. It was like me and two other people. And I basically got an hour conversation with Dave. And, and, and there was only so much that he could talk about. There was a Jim Henson uh, rep there making sure that we didn't dive too much into Disney owned territory and I, what I particularly loved was one of the times that we started to go into Disney owned territory and they started to intervene he looked at them and said we're talking about the history of the Muppets and we can't talk about that without talking about this and they backed down but he was just you know as, especially having grown up with Gonzo as my favorite uh, getting to sit down and chat with that man for an hour was just a highlight of my life
1: that's beautiful man <laughs> Like, no, that would that would be a a dream come true, especially because he's like the last remnant, right, of the original crew.
0: Right. He's the only one still doing a character.
1: Yeah. Which is that's that's going to be a sad day when they have to recast Gonzo. It's going to be the biggest bummer of my I'm going (sighs) to have in a while whenever that does happen. But how do you feel in terms of, I guess, just going off on this tangent of like Muppets now as it is? How do you feel about the Disney era and where do you think they should go? At
0: this point, I I really liked the Muppets. Like it, mm-hmm. it got me emotionally numerous times. I felt like they got the right heart. They got the right collection of characters. I liked Muppets Most Wanted. I know some people like it more. I didn't. Um, I, I did like it, but I personally I don't think movies are the right venue, and I don't think Muppets Now is the right me- venue. As much as I enjoy it, I think the digital YouTube shorts that they were doing were brilliant. And mm-hmm. I think they need to get someone who has that mentality, that viral video mentality, and put them in charge of the Muppets. And that could be the direction that they go. And I think they could really find some popularity in that direction if Disney would let them.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like they don't know really what to do with these characters. They almost have like buyer's remorse at this point about the Muppets. He's just like, uh, what do we do with this thing. Well, we have it. Let's keep it here. But we're not going to really do much with it. Because <laughs> like they've tried to recreate Sort of like a lot of people have said oh let's do The Muppet Show again it's like they did that with like A Muppets Tonight which you did revisit some Episodes recently is like it's fun But at the same time it feels like you can't really Recapture that specific same energy Even when right. you're trying to update it for the 90s At that point point. and now I don't think Disney would just have the problem of like the reason why They are not releasing any of the other like Muppet Show subs it's just like we're not gonna pay music Rights for you we're gonna do Captain <laughs> America not you <laughs>
0: I just I think there's a lot of direction that they could go. I mean, like to me, some of the best things that came about the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted were some of the parody trailers they put out and they didn't even have to work that hard at it. They just used footage from the movie they filmed and recut it or put the right kind of music underneath it. And instantly they're parodying the hangover or whatever. And it's like that's the direction that they need to go with the characters. Find someone who understands the micromedia. And and put the Muppets in that direction. I still think you can get the heart. I still think you can get their weirdness, especially. And I, I just I think that's the right direction to go.
1: Right, I would agree with that. Though I would hopefully not want to see them like go full because I could see if they become a viral stars, how much does he even want to take advantage of it? It's like let's have the Muppets TikTok, and it's like no, let's, <laughs> let's not do that. How uh, about like the? I agree that the YouTube presentations though, work like the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, or even some of the other. Shorts they were doing, I think, worked really well, where it's like it's sketches, but it's not like tied to just having like a Muppet show every week at the same time.
0: Right. And, and I think that's part of what I enjoyed about Muppets now is the the sketches mentality of it. But they were, I feel like, shoehorning it into this half hour format that it didn't need. It doesn't need that.
1: Well, that was the original intention with it was it was going to be like just the individual shorts, but they decided to repackage it. And I think that's where like I kind of had that issue where especially when they repeat certain things, it was like, oh, we just have to have a Bunsen Beaker sketch as opposed to we have an idea for a Bunsen Beaker sketch.
0: Right. And that was exactly what I was about to say is the, the Miss Piggy. Every single week didn't need to be a thing. Like, do it once, do it, uh, then do it, you know, three weeks later, but it didn't need to be a weekly segment. As much as we all love Miss Piggy, sometimes absence makes us, you know, love them more.
1: Well, yeah, especially even like the classic weapon sketches, like, Pigs in Space wasn't weekly. Like, they just did when they had an idea.
0: Yeah. I, I did, uh, I'm going to ask you in a minute if there's anything else we haven't talked about before we move into the end credits here, but the one thing I forgot to mention is all three movies in the Henson Trilogy here, Piggy's Kung Fu saves the day. Yes. It is, it is the uh, cri- critical factor of the Muppets coming through as winners on the other side, even if in this movie it's just smacking Kermit hard enough to knock, the amni- knock, knock his memory back into his head. <laughs>
1: it's the le motif. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes.
0: So what have we not talked about here that you wanted to make sure we got in?
1: Well, I mean, a big thing, like we've talked about sort of the lead up to the finale, but we haven't talked really about the finale where we see Manhattan Melodies. Right. Which is a wonderful number. And like I said, I love the way that you sort of like the fake facade sets. It feels like it's kind of capturing what weirdly a lot of like big auteur filmmakers of the 70s were trying to do in the early 80s. Like this is basically just one from the heart, but as one big musical number. Francis, you didn't need to do a whole movie about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even like New York, New York with Scorsese. It feels like he's kind of like isolating that weird kind of combination of the facades with the genuine earnestness at the same time. And I think that whole number does an incredible job of doing that. And it leads to sort of this weird catalyst that's been especially a factor in like the recent Henson, uh, the recent uh, the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, which is the marriage of Kerman and Piggy.
0: Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, though. Oh no, go
1: ahead, please. It's your show.
0: So I, I had never noticed this before, um, and I was I was reading through, the, you know, IMDb trivia, which you know I always have to check out anytime I finish watching a movie. And one of the the goofs of the movie they say is that Doctor Teeth and and the band are in the orchestra pit, but then they're also in the wedding hall. But I noticed when I was watching it this time, and I don't know why this has never stood out to me before, the wedding hall has four walls. They're not in the theater anymore for the wedding sequence. It's not part of Manhattan Melodies. I mean, I know that there is supposed to be a wedding part of Manhattan Melodies, but when we're seeing that on screen, that's genuine.
1: Well, it feels like that kind of contradicts because there's the whole point where, like, the priest joke, where the priest comes in and Kermit's like, I thought Gonzo was supposed to play the priest. Right. Right. So I think it's more a factor of like, it's not like a literal thing of now they're in the wedding hall as much as it feels like at this point it's about like, oh, this is technically a part of the show, but because it feels like it has the four walls and it's a bit more like realistic, it's like this is where all of a sudden it becomes a bit more real that all these people are together in the same place. I just put it to like verisimilitude, Rafe, not literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I in the craft part. of
1: filmmaking, damn it. <laughs>
0: All right, so let's move into the end credits here. As you know, got a couple of games before we're done. The first up is the algorithm says this is a list of movies, various algorithms say you will like because you liked Muppets Take Manhattan. So this is a lightning round of your responses. You like this movie. You don't like this movie. You don't see how they're connected, which isn't really going to be a thing this week. This ain't my first rodeo, buddy. (laughs) What's more for, you know, the people who haven't heard before to get a little Muppets with it here. (laughs) All right. So first up Muppet Treasure Island.
1: Yeah, it makes sense that it's there, and I do still quite enjoy that movie, even though I would say it's, like, I don't have the same nostalgic love as some others do with it at the same time, so I still think it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I had not seen that movie until this year. Um, I, had it, I had it show up on The Algorithm Says with another guest, and they gave me a hard time about not having seen it, so I, I fixed that. and But I had never sat down and watched it, and boy, I was missing out. Tim Curry alone is like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the Great Muppet Caper. Here's your chance to say it's the weakest of the original trilogy.
1: Um, I mean, it technically is, but I still have so much fun with it. And I would argue that <laughs> Charles Grodin may be the best human to interact with the Muppets. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: All right. Wonder Park.
1: Oh, God. That's a weird, like, CG movie that came out, right? That where the, the director was abandoned and stuff like that? Like, it's directed by nobody? <laughs> I think so. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm aware of this movie. I have not seen it, no.
0: <laughs> okay. The Secret of Nim.
1: That's an interesting choice, um, and it's like it's. Uh, I think it's another thing of like, oh, kids movie. Sure, you'll like relate to that, but um, I guess it's somewhat related in that like Secret of Nim and Muppets and the, the Muppets Stick Manhattan are the most like grounded emotionally kids movies you could probably watch. I think particularly like the Secret of Nim is going to screw up your kid
0: though. Yes, wait till they're like eight. <laughs> My kid is eleven, and I still have not shown it to him. <laughs> uh Muppets from space now's your chance to really be honest about it
1: (laughs) um I mean as you mentioned we did cover it on a double-edged double bill plug early um for that that was way back like in the I think episode 16 or something like that we did that um but yeah I would say that is the weakest overall Muppet movie for sure not and it feels the most like we're trying to be hip with the kids as well
0: with it especially with the music selection I think yeah, because it
1: feels like they're definitely kind of going for like, oh, there's a lot of 70s nostalgia right now in the late 90s. Let's just really go all out with it. It's like, guys, stop. This is this is like <laughs> the uncle putting on like, I'm with the kids. This is Steve Buscemi meme from 30 Rock. It's like, hello, fellow kids. We're the Muppets.
0: <laughs> all right. Charlotte's Web, the animated one.
1: Right. The 70s one. Um, yes. I mean, I remember seeing that as a kid. I have not seen it in decades at this point, probably.
0: It's still quite delightful, I have to say.
1: (laughs) That's my introduction to Paul Lynn, who is a great source of, especially YouTube clips of like old stuff. Yes. (laughs) All right, Wallace and Gromit. I get that. I think Argman sort of has that same sensibility with the Muppets, I would say, in general. Um, And I guess that's Rabbit right, is what they're specifically recommending, the feature? I,
0: I, I don't know if it's the feature or just the series, but yeah, it just said Wallace and Gromit.
1: Yeah, I think Wallace and Gromit have carried on a lot of the legacy of, like, Muppets as sort of, like, fun characters that interact. And also, they don't do them all the time. There's not a weekly Wallace and Gromit short. It's just like, oh, let's do a short. Let's do a feature. They don't, like, overbear it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas.
1: Yeah. Another thing we talked about (laughs) on the show. A favorite. Probably the most underrated Muppets thing in general, I would say. I love that special so much.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how I missed that it, it even existed, because I grew up with the storybook Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, but I had no idea Henson had taken it on, and I love it. Oh my god, I've only either. seen it in the last couple of years, but it's one of my favorite Christmas things to, to replay now.
1: Were you like a hipster kid, just like, I read the book
0: first? <laughs> I no, i <laughs> I'm just a clueless kid is what I am. <laughs> I
1: think that was also not as big in circulation for like, especially in America. It was more of like a Canadian, like it premiered on Canadian television and stuff like that. And HBO played it, I guess at some point. But yeah. And did... I think
0: that's why I missed it was because it was more of an HBO thing, which I definitely did not have HBO growing
1: up. <laughs> no. Yeah. But definitely if you, the biggest recommendation I could have out of this is like, definitely seek out Emma Dyer's project band Christmas. If you haven't, it's such a great artist, heartwarming special.
0: Yeah. Agreed. All right. Two more. Uh, Sean the Sheep.
1: Aardman. So yeah, that makes sense. I get it. I still, and I like Sean the Sheep, yeah.
0: Okay. And All Dogs Go to Heaven. I did revisit this recently
1: Um, when I watched it as a kid. Um, I would definitely say this, I guess, has the same aesthetic in terms of like that movie looks like it was animated on like paper smeared in coffee stains and cigarette ash. Like, it has such a grimy feel to it in a way that I kind of like, but I don't know if, like, kids today would, like, attach themselves to.
0: <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry, that should have been All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. Oh. <laughs> that changes things. <laughs> the, al- the algorithm did have both of them, so I just had to play that card. All right, we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Yes. All right, number 1. The opening scene at Danhurst College was filmed on location at Vassar College where Frank Oz wanted to use the most academic-looking of buildings. What did the building used for the exterior shot actually serve as? A, a lecture hall, B, a dormitory, C, the theater or D, a dining hall. I believe that's a dining hall, Alex. That is absolutely. All right, number two. Henson was proud of the film's G rating, citing that there were only like four G rated movies to come out that year. Despite that, The Muppets Take Manhattan only managed to be the second highest grossing G rated film that year, losing out the top spot to what movie? A. Gallivants. B. The Police Synchronicity Concert. C. A reissue of Pinocchio. Or D. Mickey's Christmas Carol.
1: It was a reissue of Pinocchio.
0: Yes, it was. Mickey's Christmas Carol was actually uh, 83. The Police Synchronicity Concert and Galavance were the other G-rated movies that came out that year. And if you don't know what Galavance is, go Google search a YouTube clip of it because it is some weird shit. (laughs) 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 uh number three several deleted or perhaps unfilmed sequences were included in the film's adaptation in comic book and storybook form which of the following was not a real scene intended for the movie a piggy as a waitress having to wait on the store manager who fired her b beauregard bringing the electric mayhem to new york C, Rizzo and Gonzo teaming up to cure Kermit's amnesia, or D, Gonzo warning Kermit about the real minister?
1: Um, I would say it's A.
0: It is A. That did not exist, but the other three did, as well as apparently a scene with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew experimenting on animal. <laughs> Makes sense. And number four. Cameos for a wealth of other actors were planned, but had to be nixed after many of the intended guests declined to appear, allegedly because of the departure of one key cameo. Who was the key cameo who decided not to appear, thus changing a good part of the script? A, Richard Pryor, B, Dustin Hoffman, C, Michael Jackson, or D, Sir Lawrence Olivier? Hmm,
1: let me travel back in time. (laughs) <laughs> earlier in this episode when i said it it is dustin hoffman
0: it is dustin hoffman the other three were part of the uh, intended cameo slate though they were going to have prior yes. come back uh michael jackson big in the 80s i can't can only imagine that and of course you know sir lawrence olivier with the muppets that's that's gold right there jerry that's gold
1: i did my research i knew this was coming
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: i studied yeah. for this test mr rafe
0: I only got to blindside you with this one time,
1: <laughs> but, but I have a bell now, <laughs> which to be anyone listening. He does not add that in later. That is
0: live. That That's is right.
1: Good foley work.
0: All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote?
1: Uh, well, I do do, as I mentioned earlier, double edge, double bill, uh, which we uh, try and do an episode every week. We're on the ESO network. And if you don't know, the basic premise of our show is every week uh, we end up talking about a good And a bad movie, though good and bad are so relative, as we often discuss on the show. Um, And it's around some sort of general topic, um, like, you know, around this time, we would have already done, like, our um, October Haunts episodes um, with, uh, we did topics like uh, David Cronenberg um, and Vincent Price and uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was chosen by our Patreon, subscribers over at patreon.com slash gedbpod where for just $1 a month we have a bonus episode every week and also polls where you all can pick things if you just pay that $1 a month um, we're also at gedbpod on Twitter and Facebook and I'm at not the who's Tommy for my general musings um, and at not the who's Tommy on Twitter and Instagram
0: yeah I am a Patreon not to you know advertise another show's Patreon on my own show <laughs> Because I don't have a Patreon yet, but I am a member and, and really enjoy the bonus content. It's, it's quite fun. And enjoy your podcast as a whole. I mean, it's, it's a blast. And I'm not just saying that because I've been on there a couple of times. It's, uh, it's one of my go-tos every week. And especially now that I've cut back the amount of podcasts I listen to on, on any given week, you're still like one that I make sure I get to in the week. And it's usually, it's, it's, you know, it goes to the top of my playlist when it comes out each week. So really enjoy the work that you guys do over there.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it so much, Rafe. And obviously, of course, um, you are a past guest, as you mentioned, but also potentially future guest. What? Cliff <laughs> All
0: right, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on. You're one of the reasons that I wanted to have repeat guests is just because I enjoy talking movies with you, uh, you know, and, and other people as well. But you just, you know, we have a history of doing this back in the old podcast and, and you know, appearing on each other's shows. And it's nice to have you back on. And I hope you'll come back again in the future.
1: Oh, any And who any-
0: knows what you'll pick? <laughs>
1: No, who knows what i'll pick i'm just a wild card i'm like charlie day and it's always funny wild card
0: so that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about The Muppets Take Manhattan, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterbox. that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at have not seen this at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Excuse me, have you seen a fallen star anywhere? We're in a crater. this must be where it fell.
1: Yeah, this is where I fell.
0: You're the star, you're the star, really? <laughs> This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and a special thanks to Thomas Mariani for returning and providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.